I'm also doing the scripture reading tonight, so you can turn, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This is on page 799 of the, the nice NIV Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one, so take one uh, home with you. And if you, if you need a Bible tonight, would you just raise your hand? Uh, so if you forgot one, here we go. We have one taker, Mubashir. Any other takers? Oh, we have Megan. Uh, there's a couple more Bibles if we need them. Okay. Sounds good. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved." And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The word of the Lord. All right, let me uh, open us in prayer as we get started. Father God, we pray that you would just Fill me with your words now. Lord, I pray that as I prepared this, these were your words that were being put down on paper. That they would not be my words, uh, but the message you have for your church uh, tonight from a very familiar passage for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, and a very important passage to any who are new Christians, um, and potentially a life-changing passage to any who are here who do not yet know you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, be honored and glorified in the handling of the word. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, bless this time. In the name of our risen Savior, amen. Let's see, I get this turned on. All right. Well, Jonathan was circling a few weeks when he would prefer not to preach this week, being away all week at the Ockengay Fellowship was one of them. And when I saw the passage, I said, I'd like to take that one. It's a really great passage and one of my, one of my favorites. But then I was thinking, I don't necessarily want to just preach exactly kind of the same sermon that comes out of this passage all the time. But at the same time, I can't just make stuff up. So I was really hoping God would give me something that was a little different. And I think what I ended up with was at least one of the points being something that I don't hear a lot of, but kind of fits my, my personality and my, I guess, theological bent as well. So hopefully it will, um, different parts of it hopefully will reach each of you. 
Our passage starts with, as for you. And so I was immediately thinking, okay, any passage that starts with, as for you, I've got a couple of questions. One is, who's the author talking to? Are they talking to me? Does it apply to me? Well, as we saw in the video, Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote uh, to the Christians gathered in Ephesus. And basically, there was a probably a majority Gentile in Ephesus, uh, but it was a you know, a Christian group that he was writing the letter to. So I guess if I'm a, if I'm a Christian um, and a Gentile, I don't live in Ephesus, but I think probably there's a good chance the letter applies to me, so we'll give it a try. And even if you weren't a Gentile, I think Paul's probably writing to all Christians in all contexts, so I think that's good. The other thing when it starts with, as for you, I kind of wonder, well, what did he just say? Because it sounds like what he said before is probably really important to this passage if all of a sudden he says, and as for you, because if I'm like a child, if I remember back, and my mom was yelling at one of the other kids, and then she goes, and as for you, if I didn't know what she was just talking about, I'm going to be a little lost. So I want to go back and kind of look at that passage. And when I read last week's passage and this week's passage, there was one thing that stuck out to me that we're really not going to preach on, and that is that this word that I tend to pronounce incomparable, but our two scripture readers have both said incomparable, um, it, it was in both passages, and I thought, I don't remember seeing that in scripture a lot. And sure enough, when I looked... The internet's a great thing. Only two occurrences in the NIV Bible of that word are in those two passages. So I thought, I don't think I can make a sermon out of this, but I do think we can certainly kind of check off a box that Paul is trying to say something by using that word in this case. He wrote a lot of other words and didn't use it. And I think that he's saying, our God is like no other. Our God is unique. You can't compare him to other gods. You can't compare him to people. You can't think that you're going to understand exactly what he's doing or how he's doing it. Um, he's incomparable. So that's kind of a side point. Get that for free. But really, three questions jumped out at me when I read the passage over and over, and they are the following. From what have we been saved? How have we been saved? And to what have we been saved? And that last question is the one I guess I feel maybe I don't hear pulled out of this passage as much as the others. So when we get to that one, hopefully they'll be uh, maybe something new. So starting with the first question, which is, from what have we been saved? I guess, Kevin, you're advancing those for me. Thank you. That probably would really help me. Verses 1 through 3, which hopefully you can see on the screen. I can't really read the one back there too well. But I notice it has a clock. We've never had a clock back there before. Does everybody know we have a screen back there? We all cheat up here. We have a screen. And this year for the first, or this week for the first time, it has a clock on it. Jonathan, you can probably make use of that in the coming weeks, I'm thinking. It's right there. So, anyway, I want to pull a couple of things out of passages 1 through 3, which says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So Paul is speaking to fellow Christians. And he says in this passage, all of us, all of us were this way. Our pre-salvation state. Look at the words that I've put in red. We were dead in our transgressions and sin. We were following the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is a Illusion, obviously, to Satan. We were disobedient. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. We were following 
the desires and thoughts of our flesh, and all of us were deserving of wrath. Were we really that bad? That's kind of, I don't know. I was saved at a very early age, and I think, was I really that bad at five years old? Was I deserving of wrath? Well, Paul says I was. And even now, some almost 40 years after being saved, I still see the sinful nature. And I would encourage you guys, you can read Romans. Don't have time to preach on Romans, but it's a good book. I read a lot of it this week, and Paul talks a lot about fighting against that sin nature versus his new nature. So you can check that out. But I guess the question I have is, I can kind of grasp this, but this would be a difficult thing for someone to grasp if they were not in Christ, just how bad they are. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. And then finally, Romans 8, 7, and 8. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. This is just like three examples. Romans is full of stuff like this where Paul is really driving home the point that we were bad. This is what we have been saved from. We were headed on a bad course. And we need to understand, I think, that while this message is true, Really, throughout the New Testament, I see this message being written to Christians. I think it's generally impossible for the mind governed by the flesh to agree with these statements. It takes God for us to understand how bad we are. I don't know if any of you have heard of the poem, The Horseman and the Lake of Constance by Gustav Schwab. I actually came across it pretty recently. My family might remember it from Friday morning's devotions. And it worked right into the sermon the day after. God is good. It's an old English poem, written in old English, but it was translated from another language, so it's really clunky, and I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to summarize it. And this rider, he rode for days, and he rode across a great and beautiful open plain, and he was waiting that, to get to the lake. Thinking he was about a day or so from the lake, he stops and asks a woman how far it is to the lake. She informs him he just rode across the frozen lake. Amazed and terrified, he falls from his horse, realizing the danger he had unwittingly put himself and his horse in by thundering across a lake that is not generally thought safe to cross. Also in that devotion, the author of the devotion goes on to say that this really is the human situation. When the sky opens and the earth is bright, when we may hear, by grace you have been saved. In such a moment, we are like that terrified rider. We look back, asking ourselves, where have I been? Over an abyss, in mortal danger? I was doomed and miraculously escaped, and now I am safe. Sometimes we do not recognize the peril of our sin until the danger has already passed. It's only after we embrace the beauty of Jesus and his cross that we discover the full magnitude of what he has delivered us from. It's when we come to an understanding of our salvation that we're given the capacity to understand our sin and not necessarily the other way around. And so I guess I say this, you know, speaking, I think, primarily to Christians in this room, that this is a great message for us. It's probably not the best evangelistic message to go out to your unsaved friends with, telling them how bad they are. Um, it just, 
it's going to be hard for them to believe until God opens their eyes to it. Until you see where you've been, you see the danger you were in, you don't really understand it. So we were dead in our transgressions and sins. We were captivated by flesh and the desires of the world. And maybe most importantly, we were deserving of wrath. That's from what we have been saved. So the next question is, how have we been saved? And I think this is the one that really is usually pulled out of this passage and really, um, you know, impressed upon people is how we are saved. So the passage here is the chunk of, the big chunk of the uh, passage, four through nine, kind of covers this how we have been saved. And Paul makes it really clear, as you can see in the words I've highlighted, who it is that's doing the saving, right? It says, but God and, and God. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. No one can boast. So this is one of those famous, there's a lot of them in the Bible where, you know, there's talking about what we did or where we've been, and then it says, but God. So this one in the NIV has a little phrase in between it, but in some of the passages, or some of the versions it doesn't, it says, but God. So it's like a turning point. We want to look and we say, okay, this is where we were, but God. And it's really like when you see one of those, you want to pay attention to it. And Paul makes it very clear, I think you can see, that it's God. But how did God do it? I want to dive a little bit into that. And when we look back into the preceding passage, I see power. Paul's prayer in that preceding passage is that we would know, that we would understand, and quoting from that, 19 and 20, 1, 19 and 20, his, I'll say it your way, incomparably, great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. This parallels what we see in verses 5 and 6 of our passage. It took the same power to make us alive in Christ as it did to raise Christ. Think about that. Think about how amazing that is. I think so many of us focus on the fact that one day we have hope we will be raised from physical death to life again. But God has already raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And it was that same power that it took to do that. And it's amazing power. We also see in this passage a lot about God's character. Maybe not. Oh, I was just behind myself. I'm sorry. So we see a lot about God's character. It says, but God, right? Because of his great love, because of his rich mercy, because of his grace, because of the riches of his grace, because of his kindness, and again, because of his grace, we see the character of God here. Why did God save us? How did he save us? Well, it was because he loved us, because he cared for us, because he wanted to be kind to us, because he had mercy on us, because he exercised grace. He was gracious to us. So Paul, again, makes it really clear. It's not us. It's God. It's not our character. It's God's character. So this is kind of the... Uh, Bernie Michaud portion here. This is not a rhetorical question. I expect a show of hands. How many people this summer follow the story of the uh, Thai boys that were trapped in the cave? Okay, most of you. How many have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> Didn't you watch like the 2020 with me? No? Okay. 
So there's a couple people that might not know it, but I was just thinking this story, now all analogies break down, right? All, every analogy we try to use that talks about salvation and God, it breaks down. But thank you for showing hands, by the way. Um, every analogy breaks down, but if you followed this story, it was pretty amazing. If you didn't follow it closely, maybe I'll give you some details that you didn't know. If you didn't follow it at all, you will be amazed. So this soccer team and their coach were kind of traveling around in, in Thailand, and they went into a cave. And they ended up two and a half miles into the cave. And the cave got flooded, I think, by a lot of rainwater coming down. The water flowed in. And they were really as good as dead. I'm going to show you a picture for those who haven't seen it. So they're two and a half miles in from the entrance of the cave. And the water has filled up all the low spots. And it's not just like walking through the water. It's completely filled. You have to swim underwater. And if you get the sense of that two and a half miles, um, some of those underwater passages were pretty long. It's not like you're just going to hold your breath and dive through. And to boot, it's dark. The water's murky. The passages are narrow. There's obstacles. There's things to get stuck on. Oh, and by the way, the boys couldn't swim. So this, you know, a lot of things stacked against them. It doesn't look like a good situation. They're pretty much done. Well, it was really amazing. Rescue teams brought in food, water, air, light, and those boys were in that cave for over two weeks while the team figured out how to get them out. The rescuers needed power. They needed kindness, love, grace, and mercy. In fact, one Navy SEAL even died bringing oxygen to the boys and the coach, giving up his life for the 13 of them. See, the team didn't realize that the path they were heading down was dangerous until it was way too late. They didn't do this intentionally. They had no idea what they were doing was going to be basically life-threatening. But once they're there, it's too late, and they needed someone to help them. I've got a couple other pictures that maybe help you if you didn't see any of the pictures or follow it. So they couldn't save themselves, right? All they could do is do what we can do, have faith in the person who's going to save them, okay? And they did. They trusted them with their lives. In fact, these boys were sedated. They were unconscious on the way out, fully trusting their lives. It took six to eight hours to get each one of them out. It was absolutely amazing, and they all got out safely. But I can tell you this, as amazing as that was, not one of the boys came out boasting about how great their faith was in their Savior, how their faith made all the difference in the rescue, but rather they boasted about the people who saved them. And secondly, I would say that what God has done for us, although maybe it's hard for us to picture and believe, took more power, more sacrifice, more kindness, more love, more mercy, and more grace. Incomparable, you could say. So how have we been saved? We've been saved by a powerful, loving, kind, merciful, and gracious God who, while we were still sinners, sent Jesus to die for us. A great thought that I heard recently from David Bisgrove is this. He says, sin is putting ourselves in God's place where he deserves to be. Salvation is God putting himself in our place where we deserve to be. 
And I think the cross that hangs behind me, if we think about where Jesus put himself, where we deserve to be, you know, that Navy SEAL who gave up his life, those kids really deserve to die, right? Not him. I mean, they were the ones that did this stupid thing. But in their great kindness and mercy, sacrificed himself. And how much more has God done for us? So now the third question. We know what we've been saved from, and we know how we've been saved. But to what have we been saved? What should we do with this? Verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I think the first and obvious thing we've been saved to, is we've been saved to good works. God didn't save us and call us to himself to live the same life that everybody else is doing. In fact, if you remember all the way back to our series on Genesis, or if you remember from past study, when God was making his covenant with Abraham, he said, through you, we will bless all people. And so as Christians today, we are Abraham's descendants. We are fulfilling that covenant. We are called to bless all the people of the earth as God gives us the ability to do that. And the, the neat thing is he says he prepared the things for us to do in advance. Uh, there's another passage that talks about before we were even born. So I think there's one other thing, though, in this passage that I really, through my study of the passage, found. And I'm going to give a caveat, not that anybody doesn't know this. I am not a Greek scholar. Don't know Greek. Everything I'm going to tell you, I've read in a book. You know, this is not me. But I found that there's this theme here where it says that he made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realm. And the word in the Greek that was used here for the with is a little different than your average with. Um, it seems that in Greek, there's two words for with. There's your, like your everyday with, and there's an intimate with. The everyday with being like, would you like uh, fries with that? That's not very intimate. You know, and the, the more intimate with, um, perhaps being like, I, I long to be with my wife tonight, you know, or something like that. And so there's these two words. We have just one word in English. But this is the intimate word, making us alive with Christ. This is talking about an intimate with, an intimate relationship about longing to be with someone, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Now that first with Christ really is a now thing, right? We've been raised with Christ, okay? We are made alive with Christ. We've been made alive. We were spiritually dead. We're now alive. The other two with Christ, being raised up and being seated with him in the heavenly realms, those are kind of more of the same as the kingdom of God. It's got the now and the not yet, where it talks about being seated with him in the heavenly realms. Well, we're not seated with Christ in the heavenly realms yet. We're not raised yet, but in some sense we are. As Christians, our heart belongs to Christ. Our heart belongs to heaven. I mean, the Bible talks about us being foreigners in this land and being citizens of another place. So in that sense, it's not fulfilled yet, but there is that sense of longing to be with Christ, to be in heaven. We have been raised to life spiritually, and we will be raised physically. Our heart belongs in heaven with Christ now, and in the future we will dwell with him there. So I think the other thing that we have been saved to 
is a relationship with Christ. And that's something that we as Christians talk a lot about, right? Christianity is not so much a, a religion, but it's a relationship. You hear that kind of stuff a lot. It's, uh, it's really about your personal relationship with Jesus. Now, that can be taken way too far. If you all, oh, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need to go to church. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. And I'm not a proponent of that. But Paul is really here saying that we've been saved to a relationship. Everything was with Christ. I don't know if I have these on a slide or not. I do. So 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And Colossians 1.21 and 22 says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So if you look at the two phrases that I have highlighted in red there, it talks about, drives this point home, that one of the reasons Christ did this was to bring you to God. It's restoring a relationship. It's reconciliation. And in Colossians, again, it says, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body. And reconciled to what? If you think about the relationship that we see pre-fall, where Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, and they are in an intimate relationship with God that's trying to be restored. It's not possible to have that fully in the fallen world we live in, but it's being reconciled and will be reconciled fully. So my big idea for this with the three points is God, because of his love, and grace, saved us from sin and death to life, relationship and good works. God, because of his love and grace, saved us from sin and death to life, relationship, and good works. So I guess my encouragement would be, if you're sitting here and you're a Christian, Are you alive in Christ? Or are you giving in to your earthly nature? And if so, how is your relationship with Christ? Is it the intimate relationship that he put his life on the line in order to bring you to? And then lastly, the good works. Is there anything in your life, any physical outward appearance that lets people know that you belong to Christ? Are you walking in those good works that he prepared for you in advance to do? So the questions are from what are we saved? And the answer, sin and death. We didn't even realize what danger we were in, like those boys walking in the cave. How were we saved? By God's great power, his love, his kindness, his mercy, and his grace. And remember, we can't boast, boast, although it takes faith. It's not our faith that did the work. It was God that did the work. And to what are we saved? To walk in good works and to an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we all have fallen short of your glory. And we all 
continue to do so. Day by day, as Paul says, we do the things that we don't want to do and we don't do the things we do want to do. And it's a constant battle between our earthly nature and our heavenly nature. God, we pray that you would help us to realize just a little bit more today the amazing thing that your salvation, your free gift to us is that you have given us mercy and grace. You have shown us love and kindness even when we were your enemies, when we hated you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be, to be alive in you, to be working on making our relationship with you more intimate, more consistent. And Lord, may you make us aware of the good things around us we could be doing, that you've set before us, that you've prepared in advance for us to do, and help us to walk in those. Father, we also pray for the offering that will be taken, that you would use it to your glory through your church. We ask these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.